So good to be home. So good to be home. We've been away for a month. It was an amazing month. Went down to um, Palm Springs and spent some time with my youngest son there, he, um, which was incredible. And in that month, we had Deborah's birthday, our 31st fifth anniversary, and my birthday, all in that time. So, yeah. But there's no place like home. I was able to connect with some of the leaders of Relating Churches and so on uh, in Los Angeles. That was also amazing. But uh, there's no place like home. And uh, no matter where we go in the world, no matter where we travel, we can't wait to get back here. And um, when I walked in this morning to the prayer meeting, it was a small group in the front here praying, and I just felt that I walked into a well. There was just a well of refreshing. I just sensed the presence and the anointing of God in this place. And I think next week I might speak on wells and fences, the difference between the two um, and so on. But uh, just the anointing, the presence of God, um, there's no place like home. Like I say, we really missed you guys. We had some adventures. Uh, on the way home, I decided that uh, the I-5 was way too boring anymore. I'm tired of that I-5. And uh, so we decided to go through the desert and through this, and we actually found a place with 3,000 people called Johannesburg. So, <laughs> so I took lots of pictures of that. Um, but we ended up in Reno. I lost all the money. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> so we'll take up another offering if you don't mind. <laughs> no, we didn't like But... Um, um, and they needed to get over to Portland um, to, some, to some friends of the church. My wife says that's not even funny. <laughs> please, no more, no more comments, please. <laughs> and um, and we, um, we got into Reno. We're going to stay there a day or two and then go through to Portland to a church there, visit them on the way. And um, we were there overnight and that next morning opened up uh, and there was this big weather alert. It was unbelievable, the, the storm that they said was coming, a couple feet of snow and all of this. And So around about lunchtime, we thought, well, we were supposed to leave the next morning. We better go to AAA and ask them uh, what the situation is. And we went there and they said, this is going to be hectic, it's going to start this afternoon, blah, 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 all of this, you shouldn't drive in it. And so on. And I said, well, we've got to get there. And so what should we do? So they said, you better leave right now. You better go back. We're supposed to leave the next morning. So we went back to the hotel, got all our stuff. They were so concerned for us at the AAA that they gave us uh, sleeping bags and they gave us a light to put on our car in case we got stuck in the... Where is this thing? In case we got stuck in the snow. So... Our little light was going to shine for sure. But the amazing thing is um, it was incredible. Seven and a half hour journey through the Sierra Nevada. So we went up to around about 8,000 feet up and down on switchbacks and all of that. And we just stayed ahead of the storm, this thing that was coming. They said it could be avalanches there um, in the time. It was really hectic. And my good friend Rick advised me to take off my winter tires and put on my night. No, just before I left, I took off my winter tires, because if you drive around in Palm Springs in winter tires, you lose all the, the tread. And so, but uh, God kept us, and God um, brought us through, 
and uh, we loved the journey. I actually said to Deborah the day after, I said, I would love to go back through that pass uh, in good weather just to see what it's like. And she said, I'm never going on that road again. So, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. And uh, I listened to Ivers preach yesterday. He's a good man, good friend. We go back a long way and uh, speaking on, on joy and smiling. And uh, I love his voice. It sounds like he belongs on the BBC. And, uh, but um, today I want to speak on that. Based on that, I want to change what I was thinking of after Ivers, but um, discerning the voice of God. Uh, it's interesting that they used that clip from Cindy Booth for the quip. I didn't know that was there, just as a confirmation. So, and what are my thoughts on this or that is I don't believe that we have a hearing problem. I believe we have a listening problem. And the question for me is not are we listening, and what aren't we just listening, but who are we listening to? What voice? are we tuning into? You know, in this room, there are radio signals all over the show, television, and all of that, and we can tune into them if we had a receiver. And we can tune into stuff that's really bad or really good. And in the spiritual, too, we have spiritual antenna, and we need to decide who we're going to listen to and who we're going to tune into. It's a very simple message, this. But... um, There's two major voices. One shouts and one whispers. The first one I want to speak out is the voice of condemnation and accusation. The voice of the accuser of the brethren and the father of all lies. The other voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the voice of the Holy Spirit is the voice of affirmation and conviction. And for us to walk in freedom and joy that what Ivor spoke about, it's important that we discern and understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. You see, condemnation will steal our joy no matter what we do. When we feel condemned, when we feel uh, trashed by the enemy, we can come into church and it's, and I'm pleased that people do come like that because I pray that the Holy Spirit can minister to you even today. You know, some people drag themselves out here and don't want to worship and don't want to sing, but come. And others may not have come today because they've had a really bad voice and they're listening to the wrong voice, the voice of condemnation. condemnation. See, the voice of the Holy Spirit is the voice of affirmation. And for us to walk in the freedom and joy that Ivor spoke about, it's important that we discern the difference between these two voices. In John 10, Jesus tells us that the enemy has one strategy, to rob from us, to kill us and destroy us. He's not our friend, but Jesus came to give us life and an abundant life. And the primary way he robs from us, yes, he can rob from us in our health, and he can run our finances. But I believe the primary way that he, he robs from, from us is through guilt and condemnation and the battle of the mind. You can have everything in the world. You can have all the stuff or you can have nothing. And you can be, have nothing and be totally free in God. And you can have everything 
and walk around with guilt and condemnation. It's like Charlie Brown with that cloud over your head the whole time. And Paul writes of this, the battle of the mind, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And what are these strongholds? We've just done a series in our, in our teaching series over the last uh, few months. If you go on there, we've spoken about the, who the Holy Spirit is, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and they're all online. And you can go learn about those things. But they are divine power to demolish strongholds. And how do we demolish these strongholds? We demolish arguments. Where do arguments come? In our heads. We argue with ourselves. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm good. I'm bad. And we demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. How do we do this? We take every thought Captive. Every thought captive. Our thoughts are like wild stallions. And they're running wild all over the show. And a stallion that is not harnessed, and a stallion that was not uh, taught to, to be part of a team in a carriage, is a dangerous thing. And we need to lasso those thoughts. We need to take authority over them. We need to take them captive. Every thought Thoughts of failure, thoughts of condemnation, thoughts of accusation, and make them, and we have the authority to make them in the obedient to Christ. We say no to those thoughts. That's not who we are. We are a new creation. We are children of the living God. God loves us. He cares for us. He sent His Son to die for us, and I am a child of the King. I am no longer a slave to fear. Thank you, Camilla. For listening to God, I'm a child of God. And God wants to break the church. We can never, ever fulfill the call of God unless we deal with these things. Because all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And I often have this picture. I don't know, um, I've never been to India, but I've seen them online where they have these, these beautiful elephants, these huge elephants. Um, that they train uh, I, for work and sometimes um, to perform. And um, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but what I am saying is one of the ways they do that is they take a young elephant and they put a big chain on its one foot and they tie a tether to a tree. And that elephant can only work five yards, 10 yards, 20 yards. Not a good thing to do, but that's how they do it. They condition that elephant so that they can take the chain of the tree and just leave it on its leg and it won't run away. It doesn't know that it's no longer tethered. It doesn't know that the chain has no um, power over it anymore. And that's like us. Jesus came to break the chains, to set us free, to set the captives free. And God wants to do that in this place. I believe today. In Revelations um, chapter 12, verse 10, it talks of the accuser of the brethren 
who accuses them before our God day and night. And they say, for he has been hurled down. His power has been broken. And when the enemy speaks to you of your past and reminds you of your past, take time and just remind him of his future. He's in a bad place. If he has feathers, they singed, they're falling out. He's frantic, he's accusing everybody. But he has been hurled down. The power of sin was broken in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only in the death, but in the resurrection, the fact that he rose from the dead and he's seated in heavenly realms. And he has a power and authority of all things. And he has given us that same power. The incomparably great power, Ephesians chapter 2 says, is for us who believe. And it's like the working of his mighty strength that he exerted in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead, it says. But the power of God is only activated through belief, through faith. And we can be unbelieving believers. We can walk in unbelief. It's like he's got our minds to say, no, that's not you. That's not what you deserve. That's what, who you are. That power's not for you. You cannot do that. You cannot speak to that person. You cannot do this. And he wages a war of containment. And we've got a beautiful building there, and I'm praying, God, that we'll invite all our friends and fill it. Not so that we can just fill a building and be contained in a space on a Sunday, but so that we can be equipped and empowered for works of service. And I've said this before, but if this is a sphere of influence of Oceanside in Nanaimo, this little square, and Nanaimo's a big place, I believe the enemy is quite happy not only in, as a church, but as individuals, that as long as we stay in our little square, he leaves us alone. I believe when you're saved, you're saved. When your name is written in the Lamb Book of Life, I don't believe there's a cosmic eraser every time I sin. Because mine would have more ticks and crosses. There would be a thousand pages just for my name. The problem is, are we saved in the first place? That's the thing. But when we are saved and we are believers, we have authority and power, number one, to take the thoughts captive, to take the thoughts that are destroying our lives and containing us. Because as soon, as long as we stay in this, how many of you people have said to me that, you know, I was in this church and, uh, you know, everything was kind and nice. And when I came to Oceanside, all hell broke loose in my life. So what are you going to do about it? You know, we are one a church that advanced the kingdom. But if we stay in our little box, in our happy little box, our happy little job, making our happy little money with our happy little kids and all of that, he's quite happy. Our neighbors are going to hell, the city's going to hell, the world's going to hell. But we step out of that box, and we do this, and I'm going to advance today the kingdom with a cup of water, with a kind word, whatever God says, all hell breaks loose. And he accuses us, and he trash talks us, 
and he puts us back in our box. And we said, oh, this is so cool. I'll never do that again. Look what happened. It must be God, you know, angry with me. And then the devil's happy. We need to, the word of God says, we must not be unaware of the devil's schemes. Ephesians 6, he's a schemer. And in, in Matthew 10, I think it's Matthew 10, it says, since the day of John the Baptist, the kingdom has suffered violence. And it's violent men and women that will take it by force. Spiritually violent, not in our own strength, but in the power and authority. And when we step out of our box and things go wrong, and when we say things and do things and the accuser comes, all he wants to do is get back in there because if he can keep you there, he's winning the battle. And God wants to break that. And I want to see it broken in my life and in the life of this church. You see, the cues of the brethren, the voice of condemnation always shouts and intimidates. It's always negative and constantly reminds us of our sin and failure. And it offers no solution, but only guilt and condemnation. doesn't come, well, you're such a failure, you suck, you did this and this, and, but if you do this, it just leaves you there. No solution. The enemy has no solutions. It never affirms you, but only points out your failures and faults. But the voice of conviction, the voice of the Holy Spirit, who will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, the Word of God says. The voice of conviction is always gentle and always points us and shows a way to the solution, and that is Jesus Christ, who forgave us our sins 2,000 years ago, past, present, and future. All of our sin He is the solution to everything. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no sin that you have, I have committed that was too powerful for the resurrection of Christ. Nothing, nothing you have done has not been bought for on the cross of Jesus. Some people have done things many years ago. Here, Christians, uh, 30 years ago, I, re- I did this. I had this. And 30 years ago, I'm still in chains by that. No. Jesus said, forgiven, forgiven. Forgiven, forgiven. Set free, set free, set free. And we need to start believing that and walking in that. Because this world needs a church that understands and knows who they are in Christ and the authority. The world is too strong for a weak church. For a church that walks in the flesh. But it has no answer for a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the power and authority that Jesus Christ has given us, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what he did on our behalf. It's not on the basis of what we've done. It's by grace through faith. It's like all other religions, you earn your way to salvation. 
And in religion says, you're on the bottom floor, I'm on the 5,000th floor, and you've got to go one step at a time to get up to me. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that. And I might get to, let's say it's 30 floors, floor 29th, and nearly made it, and I slip up, and I fall all the way back to the bottom, and I have to start again. Grace is like this. It's like an escalator. Deborah, when we're in airports, she likes to walk next to the escalator to get some exercise, and I moan when the escalator's not working. <laughs> I love them, especially those travelators. I wish all sideworks were like travel, travelators. Sorry, parents, I'm getting better at this, but, but the point is this. When you fall on an escalator, you fall upwards. It's, you fall upwards. You fall and it's still going upwards. And that's the same with God. That's what it is. When we fall in God and we're on our knees, we're not falling backwards. We're falling because when we humble ourselves, it opens many doors. And God says, you're coming closer. You're coming closer. You're coming closer to Him. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Jesus is always the solution. See, conviction whispers. I want to do something about the small voice of God sometime. Why did God whisper to Elijah? Why wasn't he in the storm and all the winds and the lightning? and all? Why was he in a whisper? Because when you whisper to someone, they have to get close to you. And it's a place of intimacy. The Holy Spirit wants us to get close to Him. He doesn't want to shout at us. He doesn't want to push us. He wants to whisper, be still, come into my presence. I want to get close to Him. When we get close to Him and we come under His shadow, Psalm 91, amazing, the Psalm of Protection. We dwell as under the shadow of the mighty, and no harm will come to us in that. And James chapter 1 says, God does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, the shadow never moves. We sometimes come out of the shadow, and he whispers and calls us back. What are you saying, God? We come back in there. It's like at a bus shelter. Bus shelter's here, and some people are here nice and dry, and you always see some monkey standing outside in the rain. They just had to take one foot back, and they're under the shadow. It's like God. He does not move, and He does not change. His love is constant, but He draws us. The enemy pushes, the Holy Spirit draws. And if somebody started whispering to you today, you're going to go be drawn closer to them, to hear them. You see, in 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9, the great apostle John writes this, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to people with regards to salvation is the good person syndrome. Why would I go to hell? Because I'm a good person. I live a good life. But there's two types of sinners. There are only two types, and one of them. 
One are called, Romans 1, 2, and 3 speaks about this. The self-indulgent sinners, the ones that are sinners of the flesh, they exchange their lives for this and that, self-indulgent, they're hedonistic and all of that. That's the one group, Romans 1. Romans 2 starts to speak of self-righteous sinners. Speaking how the Jews lost the inheritance because they did not believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought that they could attain their salvation on their own. And both of them are equally dangerous. You see a good person, pious person, uh, self-righteous person. Ah, he must be a good person. God must love him. Maybe, but maybe not. Has to bow the knee as much as the self-indulgent sinner. God loves them all. And that's the whole book of Romans. He is saying, dressing this, he wants, it's the gospel that will change you. It's the power of God unto salvation. Nothing else. You can be a hedonist and you can be self-righteous, but unless you bow the knee to Jesus Christ and and confess him as your Lord and Savior, you are lost. And that's all of us. So if we claim to be without sin, we are all sinners. But it goes on to say this, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to purify us and will, and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins. In Romans chapter 2, we see that it's not the wrath of God but the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the big stick that leads us to repentance, it's God's kindness. And I, on that, I was just reading Psalm 103. It's an amazing psalm. I'm going to read the whole psalm. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, and then we'll end close because I feel God wants to set people free today. Set me free. I was just this yesterday, set me free of condemnation. Would have, could have, should have. And David, I read up the context of Psalm 103. Psalm 51, the Psalm, the psalm of Repentance. Go and read that. Just write down Psalm 51. Pray that. Is the psalm that David wrote after falling sexually with Bathsheba? And then arranging the murder of her husband. Any of you done that? Me, I haven't. Serious sin. But God forgave him. Psalm 51. What was the difference between Saul, who sinned, and the kingdom was taken, and David, who sinned, and his sin was forgiven? Not the consequence of his sin, but his sin was forgiven. What was the difference? David humbled himself and repented, confessed his sin, and God forgave him, and Saul blamed everybody else. It's your fault I'm like this. It's your fault. It's your fault. David humbled himself, and God resists the proud. He says, speak to the hand. I'm not listening to you, but he pours out his grace. On the humble, 1 Peter 5. He pours out his grace. God, I've messed it up. 
um, Psalm 51, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned, he says. Create in me a pure heart. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's crying out to God, and God says, grace, 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 grace. And at the end of his life, David, looking at all the victories, the, the, the slain of Goliath, the return of the Ark of the Covenant, the uniting of Israel, and all of these kind of things that he must have looked at, but also understanding the mercy and grace and the forgiveness of God. Because like you and I, he messed up. And in that context, I believe he writes this psalm. He says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being, praise his holy name. God loves worship. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. What are the benefits of God? Here he says, he's looking back on his life. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He's talking about you. He's forgiven all your sins. Wants to heal all your diseases. Isn't it amazing that one of the major causes of disease is stress? The mind. Stress. Praise the Lord. He's redeemed you from the pit. And he crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I pray God for that every day. I'm one day away, one year away from 60. So I want my youth renewed. <laughs> the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. That's you. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in love. He's thinking of those times he let God down. He will not always accuse. He is not the accuser of the brethren. Nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Think about it. Thus those, as high as the heavens are, so great is his love for those who fear him. How much love is that? As far as the east is from the west, he's not talking from east Canada to west Canada. He's talking from east universe to west universe. That's how far. He removes these things. And if we're going to fulfill the call of God, if we're going to walk in joy, we need to take these things captain. Because I tell you what, we can be, have our joy and spurred, stirred, and I can have it, and all of that, and all of a sudden, the accuser comes. And I can fall for his trap if I don't understand 
the finished work of the cross. Houses, as a father, this is God, has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For we know, he knows that we are, how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And in its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is on those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. Church, that's a covenant Blessing. I don't care where your children are, what they're doing. God has a call. And his children, children, don't give up on them and don't allow the enemy to trash talk you down right because it's your fault. God's forgiven you. He doesn't remember that anymore. He's looking for faith. He's saying, believe me, trust me. But how long, Lord? I don't know how long. He knows, but I don't. We have faith in him. For those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established, established the throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. What an amazing prayer. What an amazing song. You see, I spoke of the kindness of God in Romans 2. You go and read it. The kindness of God leads to repentance. Religion, a big stick, doesn't change your heart. It might change the outside, but it doesn't change the heart. But the kindness of God... And I want to read this in the context, a similar kind of thing, because Paul also gave his approval to the death of the first martyr, Stephen. And he left there and he was on his way to Damascus. And the Christians in Damascus it would be like, I won't use names, but anyway, it would be like a terrorist on his way here to blow us up for our faith. He's on his way there, and Jesus meets him on that road and radically saves him. I want to read this. It's not in here, but let me see if I can find it quickly. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. It's an amazing passage. It's the same thing as what David went through, Paul went through. And he thinks of his past. And he's speaking to Timothy. And he says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful in appointing me to his service. Even though I was once, this is Paul, a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of the Lord 
was poured out on my life abundantly along with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Here is a trustworthy saving that deserves full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom, Paul says, I am the worst. Thinking of Stephen and those things. But he says, but because of his grace, I now labor even more. I press in more into God. I run more into God. So if you haven't done those kind of things, you're not even in the company of the saints. Yet God forgave them, and they turned it around and used it for the gospel. And he tells Timothy, this was my story. And he writes this, and I think he's remembering himself too. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, says, as for you, and I'm sure he's thinking, and I, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us, all of us. All means the same thing, all of us. Lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath or deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up after saving us and seated us with him in Christ, in heavenly realms, in Jesus Christ. Why? In order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace. He has it expressed in his kindness. God is a kind God towards us in Christ. Then he says, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. It is not from yourself. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to improve yourself. Run into the arms of God. Run into them. Stop trying to break stuff in your own strength. It is a gift of God. In fact, it is, it is the gift it's not just any gift. It's like Christmas. You buy something really special and you give it to somebody and they say, well, how much do I owe you? You say, no, it's a gift. No, I want to pay you for that. I don't want to be your... You say, that's ridiculous. Grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. But he's kind and compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in love, and he doesn't want to treat you as his sins deserve. David understood that. Paul understood that. We cannot be saved by works so that we cannot boast of our salvation. For God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, the amazing truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not only is God willing to forgive our sins? But in Isaiah 30, 18, 
He says he longs to. He knows what sin does. He longs to. Isaiah 38 in the NASB, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to. He waits on high to have compassion on you. He wants to be gracious. He's waiting for you to come under the shadow. He's waiting you for, to forget that past. He longs to. He longs relationship. He sent his son. He gave his best. So that relationship with you destroyed by your sin could be restored through Jesus Christ. For the Lord God is a God of justice. That's why I had he sent Jesus Christ. And how blessed are all of those who long for him. I want to finish with this. If we can have the worship leader team and Wes, if you could just help them set this up and then I'm going to hand back to Wes after this. Church, I really feel God wants to do business in lives today. I've struggled with condemnation like anybody else. I'm not going to be bragging or proud but God has opened doors for Deborah and I all over this world. Even while I was away, New Zealand, again, Australia, South Africa, United States. I don't know why he does that. I don't have no idea. We never ask. We have never asked, say, have a ministry, will you have us? People hear about us, I don't know. And they release us into their ministries. And I just want to pray this one thing over us. Actually, I won't read now. I'm just going to pray. If you could please close your... I just want you to have a sense for the moment of God's compassion, grace, and kindness towards you. Just try and imagine what that's like, his heart. You have maybe done some really bad things or not so really bad. And God and the enemy always uses that to trip you up. Well, I deserve my lot. God came to change your lot. And I just feel even now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll come. And shower your grace and your mercy on all of us. Showers of blessing. Lord, I pray that you'll break the power of condemnation. For your word says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray that right now, Lord, they're one of, ones of struggle, Lord. I pray that you'll just wash that away right now, Lord. Paul said in Philippians chapter, I think it's um, 2, chapter 3, this one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind. Paul had to forget his religious bigotry, being a Pharisee, of Pharisees, but he also had to forget the fact 
that because of him, Christians died. And he said, this one thing I do, this one thing, forgetting that which is behind, break the power of that. You may have been divorced. You may have fallen sexually. You may have done things that you're embarrassed about. And dare I say, I just feel God has so compassion today for people who may have had an abortion and, and have not been able to get over that. I feel His compassion. I feel Him weeping. And if He's not in, He has people out there that He wants us to reach out to. He loves them. He's weeping over you. He loves you. And this one thing we need to do is to forget that which is behind. It's under the blood of Jesus. And when the accuser comes, say, forgiven, it is finished. Forgetting, I press on. We actively press on. And he says, to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me for. What has Christ taken hold of you for? To be salt and light. To love the unloved. To extend grace and compassion. That's what he's, he's pray, he's, our call. To so ask the Holy Spirit just to begin to rain down. Just to begin to rain down in Jesus' name.